Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. When David was in the hillsides and the countryside hiding from Saul, and he was hiding in the caves, amen, the Bible says that he sought out men who were destitute. He sought out men who were in dire need, who had absolutely nothing to lose, amen? They had nothing to lose, and they were the men that he sought out to help him fight his battle and to win his war against Saul and to protect himself. Amen. We have nothing to lose to this world. Amen. If we're honest with ourselves, each of us is somehow destitute. We're somehow in dire need. Amen. We're somehow, amen, have nothing to lose to this world. The Bible says that this world is not our home. We're just a passing through. And that's why I'm here tonight is to prepare for my heavenly home. Amen to prepare for a place that God said, where I am, you can be also, amen? Let's praise and worship him tonight.
Hallelujah. God's going to take care of our problems if we let him. God will work. God will work. The Bible says that God will work if we will let him work. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and say, God, I'm going to let you work for me. Hallelujah. God, I'm going to let you work on my behalf. here tonight hallelujah come on we can do better than that we can do better than that hallelujah come on hallelujah this hand claps for the king of kings and for the lord of lords here tonight hallelujah what a mighty god we serve what an awesome god we serve what a mighty god we serve tonight hallelujah somewhere around seven billion people in this in, on this planet god knows every name he knows every address. He knows every phone number. Hallelujah. He's got every hair of our head numbered. Praise God. Come on now. Hallelujah. That's a, it takes an awesome God to, amen, to be able to take care of all of that at one time. But he does it. He does it. Amen. And he's here tonight on this Wednesday night church service with us. He's here tonight because we need him. He's here tonight because we have welcomed him, amen, through our praise and worship into the sanctuary tonight, praise God, hallelujah, amen, so uh, he's here, he's here, you're here, he's here, I'm here, hallelujah, come on, let's just let, let's just have some apostolic church here tonight, praise God, come on, let's have some apostolic church here tonight, I know it's hump day, I know it's the middle of the week, hallelujah, I know your kids have got to go to school tomorrow, hallelujah, amen, but we could get, could we get, could we just give the next 45 minutes to an hour everything we got? Hallelujah. Could we just pour our heart out to God? Hallelujah. Amen. Well, we got some things to pray for tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Uh, sister Chris, uh, she called today for prayer for her sister. Uh, her sister needs prayer and also a friend right before church. We were praying. I think their name was Crystal. Crystal. All right. So we're going to pray for Sister Chris's sister and for Crystal, a friend of hers tonight. Praise God and believe God for the miracle that they need. Amen. Sister Stephanie came through her operation okay, but she didn't get to go home today. She is still in the hospital, so she needs our prayers. Sister Samantha sent word today that she is doing some better. Praise God. So she's feeling better, doing better. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So thank God. Amen. Sister McEwen, we need to pray for her. Hallelujah. I don't think that they have buried her husband yet. They're waiting on her to, uh, to get to be uh, feeling better herself. She came down with the COVID, and he was at home. And while she had the COVID, he passed away. And 
they're just kind of waiting on her to uh, get to feeling better, amen, to where they could go out and have a funeral for her husband. So let's pray for Sister McEwen tonight. Praise God. Hallelujah. Sister Katie's uncle, David, uh, she's called us or asked us to pray for her uncle, David. Sister Tabitha's grandfather, amen, is uh, in pretty critical condition, so we need to lift him up in prayer tonight. Again, we need to pray for Brother Young and Sister Young and their children and their church family down there in South Georgia. Brother Young is still in the hospital. He's still in critical condition. Hallelujah. Amen. But uh, we're going we're gonna to believe God. Amen. That's all we know to do. Praise God. Hallelujah. We're going to call on God. We're going to believe in God that God's going to raise Brother Young up. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. There's no other way to pray. Amen. But for the miracle that he needs, and not only him, but all the others that we've mentioned here tonight, there's some miracles needed right here tonight in this list. There's some miracles needed. Amen. Through these names that are on our screen here tonight. Praise God. And uh, hallelujah. Uh, Sister Bertha's daughter, Rachel has asked uh, us to anoint a prayer call for her tonight. Hallelujah. She is having a very difficult time of resting at night and getting sleep at night. Hallelujah. For the past month or so. And uh, we're going to, uh, Sister uh, Rachel, if you're watching tonight, praise God, we're going to anoint these prayer calls for you. Hallelujah. And we're going to believe that when you receive these prayer calls, hallelujah, we want you to put one of them in your pillow. Amen. I might just send you a couple here. Put one under your pillow. Put one under your sheets. Hallelujah. Amen. And just receive them in faith. Hallelujah. And believe that God's going to give you a good night's sleep. Praise God. And that, amen, you're going to get some peace of mind. Hallelujah. Amen. And that you're going to be able to get some rest tonight. Praise God. So if the ministers would come. And, uh, amen, help me anoint this prayer call tonight. We're going to all pray together, amen, concerning these needs tonight. Hallelujah. Come on, let's pray. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, we anoint this prayer call tonight, God. Hallelujah. For Rachel, God, we pray, Lord, that you would comfort her mind her heart, her soul, God. Hallelujah, that you would give her some peaceful rest and sleep. Amen, at night, God. Hallelujah. Touch her, God, today. Hallelujah, God, in the name of Jesus, God. Hallelujah. Lord, show yourself strong on her behalf tonight, God. And Lord, we'll give you all the praise and honor and glory tonight in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we are binding together tonight. We are binding together tonight. Hallelujah, God, concerning all of the needs in this house. Hallelujah. All of the prayer requests that have been mentioned here. Amen. Tonight, hallelujah, God, we're praying. Hallelujah, God, that you touch every individual that has been mentioned here tonight, God, that needs our prayers, God. Hallelujah. God, touch every name on the screen tonight, God. Hallelujah. God, we take prayer serious tonight, God. Hallelujah, God. And we are joining together and binding together. Amen tonight concerning the needs of those that have asked us to pray for them tonight, God. Miracles are needed. Healings are needed tonight. Help is needed tonight, God, on behalf of these folks tonight, God, that have been mentioned here in this prayer, God. Hallelujah, God. Touch every name on the screen tonight, God. Let's pray for Landon tonight. Hallelujah. God, we're praying for Sister Fields. Lift you there, God. Hallelujah. God, touch Landon tonight, God, in the name of Jesus. God, you know what he needs, God. Hallelujah. God, give him strength. Give him health, God. Touch him today, God, in the name of Jesus. Right there, God. Hallelujah. 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 
here I think is Melissa all right good to have Melissa here with us tonight praise God and uh, hallelujah brother Sean brought a friend amen he's back there somewhere <laughs> hallelujah we're so glad that he came tonight to visit with us and be with us in church tonight hallelujah thank you for coming thank you for being with us tonight praise God hallelujah brother Rose gonna take the young folks back to youth service so they'll they'll be dismissed at this time hallelujah and uh Praise the Lord. I've asked Brother Clint to share something with us here tonight. Brother, Brother Kent. Brother Kent, praise God. I need to get this right. Brother Clint Kent tonight to share, uh, amen, a message with us. Whenever, hallelujah, whenever you stop and realize, uh, I told Brother Clint, I called him and said, would you preach Wednesday night? I said, I'm preaching about spaceships. Hallelujah. You know, everybody... I might need a little help here, praise God. He said he was going to come in here tonight and preach on aliens. So, I, I you know, <laughs> hallelujah. I don't know if he's going to do that or not, amen, but whatever he decides to share with us tonight, hallelujah. We love Brother Clint. We, know, we love his family. We love his children. We love, amen, his extended family that are all here or that are here tonight, praise God, a part of Higher Praise Tabernacle. There's certain, certainly a blessing, amen, to have this family in our church, have uh, Brother Kent in our, uh, amen, in, in our church, helping out in so many different areas, so many different areas, praise God, he, he helps me in, praise God, and I certainly appreciate every, every hour that he spends, hallelujah, a lot of folks don't realize that after church, most, after most church services, he hangs around here until everybody else is gone to lock up the building, hallelujah, let me tell you something tonight, he needs a hand clap of appreciation for that, hallelujah, amen. Amen. He hangs around. Everybody else goes home. Praise God to lock up the building, make sure everything is secure. And I, amen, I certainly appreciate him doing that tonight. Praise God. We want him to come tonight. We want to give him our time, our ear, our heart tonight. We want to listen with our ears and listen with our heart tonight and receive what he's going to bring to us tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody say, God bless Brother Kent tonight. Amen. Preach to us tonight in Jesus' name. Praise God. Praise the Lord, everybody. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to be here tonight, to stand behind this desk and to preach, teach. Are you going to hang with me? Are you going to get with us tonight? 
Come on, Pastor Morell on Monday night, he admonished the people that were here for, for prayer meeting that we need to step it up a little bit, that we need to increase our passion in what we do for God, passion for prayer and passion for praise and worship. And so, hey, let's just exercise that tonight, the passion that we have for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn to the book of Exodus, chapter 30. Again, thank you, Pastor Morell. It's an honor and a privilege to be here. I'm, I sound like an evangelist, don't I? I can't remember the last time I preached when, Pastor, you were here. I don't remember. So I'm nervous. I'm nervous. I've got the head honcho right up here. <laughs> I'm used to being able to say whatever I want to say. No, I'm kidding. Pastor Merrill, on January the 17th, you preached a message Wednesday night called Perpetual Fire. And sitting over there, the Lord dropped a little thought into my heart. And I just want to try to convey that to everyone here today. I ran across something this morning that really got my attention to kind of go along with it. And as some of you may know, it just formulated from there. So the book of Exodus, chapter 30, beginning at verse 37. And as for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. It shall be unto thee. Holy for the Lord. Verse 38 Whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereunto shall even be cut off from his people. And so, just for a few moments, I'd like to preach and teach along the lines of this message never again. Never again. If you wouldn't mind, just lay your Bibles to the side. Maybe shake the hand of the person beside you. Give them a fist bump. Uh, whatever you feel appropriate. In the name of Jesus. And you may be seated. Praise God. Yes, sir. Thank God for my son here. Thank God for my family, everybody that's here. I, well, I appreciate it. On September 14th, 1814, Francis Scott Key pens a poem, which is later set to music and in 1931 becomes America's national anthem, the Star-Spangled Banner. The poem originally titled The Defense of Fort McHenry was written after Key witnessed the Maryland fort being bombarded by the British during the War of 1812. Key was inspired by the sight of a lone U.S. flag still flying over Fort McHenry at daybreak as reflected in the now famous words of the Star-Spangled Banner and the rocket's red glare. The bombs bursting in air gave proof through the night that our flag 
was still there. On June 18th of 1812, America declared war on Great Britain after a series of trade disagreements. In August of 1814, British troops invaded Washington, D.C. They burned the White House, burned the Capitol building, and the Library of Congress. Their next target was Baltimore. Francis Scott Key went down to help one of his friends, Dr. William Beans, and he was there to speak on his behalf to release him from prison, and he was successful in doing that. However, they could not leave the area until the war was over or until the skirmish had ended. And so from a boat almost eight miles away, he saw the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air. And as that ended, and he realized that victory had been won by America, he saw that lone flag still flying through all of the chaos, through all of the bombardment and all of the problems and situations. He saw that lone flag flying, and there he began to pen that awesome, awesome poem. And Woodrow Wilson, President Woodrow Wilson, announced that it should be played at all official events. And it was adopted as the national anthem on March the 3rd, 1931. I could just imagine the sight that Francis Scott Key saw. Now, the flag then was not like it is now. It had 15 stars on it back then. But when he looked and he saw, he knew at that moment what this symbolized. He knew that it meant resilience of a people. He knew that it meant that there was a people that were able to withstand all of the forces of the British armament. That they withstood, they stood their ground and fought the fight. And they finished that battle victorious. That's what this meant to Francis Scott Key. Down through the decades, we have become so accustomed to the fact that this symbolizes freedom. It symbolizes the greatest things that make up America. Life, liberty, and justice, the pursuit of happiness, all of the things that seemingly are trying to be taken away from us at a rapid pace. But thanks be unto God, we know what this means. There have been many men and women that have fought wars and battles, lost their lives in the pursuit to give you and I this freedom that we so cherish today. This stands for so much more than just a flag flying in the wind. Oh, so much more. This is important. This is almost what we would consider a sacred Memento or a sacred emblem of America. This means a lot to us. And so it pains us when we see people throwing it on the ground. It pains us when we see people lighting it aflame and a fire in the pursuit of their agendas. To some, this stands as a, as a symbol of oppression. How that is possible, I do not know. They are mixed up in their heads. This is freedom. This is what we were founded upon. This is what we're built upon, freedom. And so 
When anyone stands and addresses a group of people to sing the national anthem, they need to do it better than what just happened at the Super Bowl. Our national anthem was sang, sung, however you say it, or however you say that, by a guy, I do not know who these people are, a guy named Eric Church and Jasmine Sullivan. They were standing their social distance apart, and they were singing, or what some would consider singing. And so I ran across this this morning, and this is what kind of spurred into what we're going to talk about tonight. This is from a Marine Corps colonel in Afghanistan, and this was his thoughts about the Super Bowl and the singing of the national anthem. He said, so with all kindness I can muster, I give this one piece of advice to the next pop star who is asked to sing the national anthem at a sporting event. Save the vocal gymnastics and the physical gyrations for your concerts. Just sing this song the way you were taught to sing it in kindergarten. Straight up, no styling. Sing it with the constant awareness that there are soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines watching you from bases and outposts all over the world. Don't make them cringe with your self-centered ego gratification. Sing it as if you are standing before a row of 96-year-old World War II vets wearing their purple hearts, silver stars, and flag pins on their cardigans, and you want them to be proud of you for honoring them and the country they love, not because you want them to think you are a superstar musician. They could see that from your costume, makeup, and your entourage. Sing the Star-Spangled Banner with the courtesy and humility that tells the audience that this is about America, not you. And please, not everything needs to be spunked up. We're getting a little weary of that. Francis Scott Key does not need any help. Semper Fi is how he ended it. And so basically what this gentleman is saying is, if you're going to stand up and you're going to sing a song that is as sacred as the Star-Spangled Banner that is our national anthem, you better do it right. You better do it with the way that you know how to do it. Don't try to infuse your style. Don't try to infuse your ego, how you can do things and your best ability and whatever because nobody cares about you. Nobody cares what your voice sounds like. We care about America. We care about our national anthem, what it stands for. This means a lot more than you standing up and just singing so that you can please other people. Yeah. In other words, there are some things that shouldn't be messed with. Now, we all have items that are of great value to us, yet others can't see the value. We have a tendency to hold on to the things that may not have great monetary value, yet they have extreme sentimental value. We all have those little things that we hold on to that mean something to us. Now, this right here, I'm going to be honest with you. 
At this point in time in my life, this means absolutely nothing to me. Okay? But let me tell you about this. This is the first softball bat I ever owned. I was 18 years old. I bought it for myself. Probably went on a credit card. I'm kidding. And uh, that was 23 years ago. And this thing right here, it is banged up, dinged up, it's cracked. It's not even made out of this material that people use today. It's, it's really worthless, to be honest with you. I could take it to the Goodwill, and they probably would take it. But I'm going to tell you something. Back in my day, in my prime, many a ball went over the fence from this bat when Avery picked it up. Or Austin. No, I'm kidding. I had a few of them myself, didn't I? Just a few, not many. Foul balls, yeah. Now, let me tell you something else about this. For some reason and somehow, this bat has withstood the test of time. And there has been a little precious lady that has told three boys for years and years and years, Get rid of that bat. It's cluttering up. We've got a whole trash can kind of full of bats and stuff. Get rid of it. It's cluttering up everything. We don't need it. And the ones that really pitch a fit is Kathan and Noah. For some reason, they don't want to get rid of it. And I'd like to think that it has sentimental value to them because it was my first bat. It was a bat that Kathan used whenever he was young and Noah used when he was young. Abby tried, bless her heart. Didn't succeed too well. And so this has sentimental value to somebody. But it has no value. It has no worth. If... Huh, that's what it says on the side, worth. <laughs> so, we all have things like that that we hold on to that are pretty much worthless. However, they have some value. And that's the exact reason why men spend the money to mount that big or little buck that takes up so much wall space. And that's why women always have to decorate with that little or big trinket that always gets in the way. And although the value of some things can depreciate, we still hold on to them because of what they mean to us. Some people hold on to, uh, they collect the funeral memorial programs when they go because it means something to them. Some people collect a, a toy that was given to them a long time ago. Somewhere at our house, we have a, a toy that is an old kind of a Mickey Mouse thing that was on a trapeze, and you push a button and it flips over. That, I, if I'm correct, my dad played with when he was a boy. And that was at least 50 years ago, right, Dad? And so we hold on to some things because it has value to us. Even though to other people, 
It's meaningless. Now, what does it mean to depreciate? That means to lower in honor or esteem. It means to lower the price or estimated value of something or to fall in value. Now, what causes depreciation? Normal things that you can think of also, wear and tear, perishability, inefficiency, obsolescence. That's being obsolete. I had to look that one up. Exhaustion, deterioration, age, or familiarity. We understand depreciation by looking at the housing market. We know how that goes, fluctuates up and down. But we certainly understand depreciation when we go to buy a car, and as soon as we drive off the lot, it has depreciated thousands of dollars. So we certainly understand what it means to depreciate or to have depreciation involved in our lives. It is true. One day, all earthly possessions will depreciate. However, heavenly things never depreciate. You can have the greatest of the greatest thing that this world has to offer. And one day, it will be worth nothing. And it depreciates in value because of these various reasons. But you can hold on to that little heavenly thing that you've got. And it will never, ever depreciate. It will always remain. Always be there. Hallelujah. And that's why God warned Moses in our original text. I'm going to read it one more time. And as for the perfume, this is important, Moses, okay? As for the perfume which thou shalt make, ye shall not make to yourselves according to the composition thereof. You cannot take this with the ingredients and the recipe that I have given you. You cannot take this and you cannot make it for your own consumption and for your personal use. This is holy. Unto thee, holy for the Lord. Basically, God was telling Moses, this is an uncommon thing that you're not to dabble with and you're not to mess with. Right? And he gives this warning, whosoever shall make like unto that to smell thereto shall even be cut off from his people. And what God is basically saying, Moses, if you take an uncommon thing given to you by God, and you try to make that thing common, you'll be cut off from your people. You will not be able to proceed the way I want you to proceed if you take these uncommon attributes and you try to make them common. You try to water them down and make it the way you think it should be or the way that you like for it to be. It doesn't happen that way, Moses. You have to make it according to this, and you have to use it only for this purpose. They were in danger of trying to change the uncommon into the common. And that's why God struck, was it Hophni and Phineas? That's why they offered strange fire, and that's why God struck them down. Is because they were doing things they shouldn't do. They tried to make the uncommon things of God just a ho-hum, just natural, just here, run-of-the-mill. It's just common. There's nothing special about this. We're going to do it this way. 
That's what they tried to do, and we all see how that happened for them. Now, we have to make sure that we don't make the uncommon things of God common by our irreverence. Whether it's knowingly or unknowingly, we can make the uncommon things of God common by our irreverence and by not paying attention. For there are some things that are holy, and there are some things that are holy unto the Lord. There's some things that should not be tampered with. There's some things that should not be messed with, that should not be altered in any way, shape, form, or fashion by the influence of human thought because it will lead to error every single time. We should never allow the uncommon things of God to become common. We should never allow the extraordinary things of God become ordinary. We should never allow the uncommon, the exceptional things of God become normal. We should never allow the beautiful things of God to become fair. And we should never allow ourselves that are hot to become lukewarm. We have got to keep the things that are supposed to be holy, holy unto the Lord. Now, going forward, I want to give you a disclaimer. If I say you, I mean we. I'm just feeling a little passionate about what I'm saying. And so don't take this accusatory, but take this as I'm just trying to help us, trying to incorporate all of us, and God, we're going to see him move in our lives tonight. It's going to be great in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. There is a movement that has been sweeping through this world since the very beginning. This movement has been seen very evidently over the past few decades in both the religious and secular arenas. It transcends time, location, socioeconomic status, gender, etc. It transcends all of those common things. This movement was birthed on the mountain of God inside the egotistical tendencies of Lucifer himself. It is a fire that has since been fueled by the hatred of the unregenerated heart and the flames of which burn so intensely that no amount of logic, decency, or truth can quench the flames. This movement is known by many names, but for today, I would like to refer to it as the doctrine of depreciation. Which was what I was going to title this message, but I, the Lord dropped something else in my heart. The doctrine of depreciation. The mission plan of this doctrine is to take the things of which we esteem to have great value, honor, and even holy things and make its enemies believe that those things have depreciated in value. That they've lost their luster, so to speak. The things of God and those things that are holy and that what we esteem high is not what it used to be. Now listen here. The initial step to buy into this devilish indoctrination is to begin to entertain the idea that the holy things of God, which are supposed to be separate, could be intertwined somehow with the very things we are supposed to be separated from. 
Whenever you start to think in your mind, whenever we start to think in our mind, and when so many others that we can think of in our minds right now start to think in their mind that maybe I can take these holy things that God has bestowed unto me. I can intertwine a little bit of the world in there and make everybody happy. It sure would be a whole lot easier if I didn't have to conform to such rigidity. And it would be so much easier if I could just let loose in this area. Or I don't have to do this or I don't have to do that. And so they begin to concoct these envisions in their mind on how they can infuse and intertwine the holy things of God. Uh, Hophni and Phineas did the same thing. They were like, we're going to just see if we can figure out a way to make it a little easier on ourselves. And it doesn't matter. It's a kind of a, we're just un, it's a common thing. And so we got to keep those things that are supposed to be separate, separate. We can't allow the things that we are supposed to be separated from to creep into our hearts, into our minds, into our understanding, and try to adjust and try to justify our actions. We've got to be holy, acceptable, separated. Whatever you involve yourself in has to be holy and separated. We don't conform to this world. We're renewed by the transforming of our mind. We're not of this world. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. We are separate. We are a royal priesthood, a peculiar people. We are the ones that God has bestowed the Holy Ghost, the greatest gift to mankind. Keep it separate. Once that mindset gets a foothold, then you start searching for things that can magically Merge the holy with the unholy. And so instead of trying to think of it in your mind, you begin to, to perform what you're thinking in your mind. And you truly are thinking that if I do this, I can hold on to this, uh, but I can let loose right here, although it's holy and it's an uncommon thing, I can dethrone that, make it common so that I can adjust and pull it into my worldish ways. It can't happen. It can't happen. You begin to take the recipe God has given to you for your success and try to alter it to fit into your new plan. Hmm. In your pursuit to flesh out this new plan, you inadvertently lower your guard in those unholy actions take over and they become your new reality. So what was a figment of your imagination? What was just a thought, albeit a passing thought, became, began to be fleshed out? And you began to perform actions that were unholy. All in the pursuit of trying to, to feel right, to feel like you were what God wanted you to be. Again, you as we, for everyone out there listening, we try to, sometimes we have tried to justify that. But some things are just holy. And they cannot be tampered with. 
They cannot be tainted. God will not allow it. Hallelujah. So you inadvertently allow your guard to let down. Then that unholy action becomes your new reality. You are now totally invested into this doctrine of depreciation. And your new name is backslider. I firmly believe, Pastor, you please correct me if I'm wrong. I firmly believe this is not an exhaustive step by step, but this is how people get into a backslidden state right here. They, for whatever reason, they allow the uncommon things of God to become common. They allow those things that are on a pedestal in their life, uh, the things that are supposed to be, the holy things of God, they take them off of that pedestal and bring them down to a lower level with something else. And that's not the way it can be. That is not acceptable unto the Lord. The devil will try to convince you that the holy, separated things of God have depreciated in value. He will try to convince you that the things of God are just worn out and they're tattered and torn. He'll try to convince you that the things of God, the holy things of God are perishable they're ineffective, they're obsolete, they've exhausted all of their efforts, they've deteriorated, it's been too long, they're too old, it's too aged, or probably worse of them all, it's too familiar. See, a lot of us that have been serving God for any length of time know and realize that at some point in time in our walk with God, we are going to feel like we're wore out. We're going to feel, feel like that we're tearing apart at the seams. Oh. We're going to feel like that we're going to perish. We'll feel like that we're becoming ineffective and that we're becoming obsolete, we become exhausted. Sometimes we feel as though we're deteriorating and sometimes we feel like we're too old or we've been at this thing too long. But I'm going to tell you, that is a lie from the pits of hell. I know you feel that way. And I know that that's natural to feel that way. But you may feel like you're just common, but there is a God that has uncommon things that he'd like to drop into your heart. There's a God that would like for you to take those, that, that thing that was once up top, move it back to where it's supposed to be in its rightful place. And yes, sometimes... And like I said, maybe worst of all, we get caught in the familiarity of everything. 
what do they say is the uh, definition of insanity? Is doing something over and over the same way and expecting different results. It just doesn't work. Sometimes you got to change things up. Sometimes we find ourselves in a familiar place and inadvertently we allow the holy things that are of God to descend a little bit and become common. Pastor, stop me whenever I've gone too far. When we come to the house of God, we're not coming to a building per se. We're coming to the house of God. Now, again, I'm not trying to be accusatory. I'm just, I want to encourage us all. I need to hear this just as much as you do. Hallelujah. I know we come into the sanctuary, we come into the church, and we have a good time. We have fun. We love to fellowship, and there's nothing in the world wrong with that. But when it comes time to get serious and to take those seemingly common things, and we've got to transcend and elevate ourselves to the uncommon attributes of God. We've got to make that switch, right? When we come in here for Monday night prayer meeting, Pastor Morrell hit the nail on the head the other night. It's not just a group of people coming to talk to the wind. It's not just a group of people taking uh, time out of their busy schedule is just to come together just to where we can see one another and just so where we can just talk. No, ma'am, no, sir. We come into the house on Monday night prayer with a purpose, with a plan, with a desire, and an intention. We're coming to meet the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And sometimes in our familiarity, we get a little lackadaisical and we get a little comfortable in, in the things that we do to where going to church becomes, I have to go to church. And then you catch yourself and you're like, well, no, I get to go to church. And it becomes a little confusing because you, you're so tired. You want to go home and get in the bed. Trust me, I know how that is. We still got plenty of time. You want to get home, you want to get in the bed because you're so tired. What's the deal with Wednesdays? That you're so tired and you just want to go home and go to bed, right? If something's going wrong, it's done switch from Monday to Wednesday for some reason. And so we get into this, well, uh, maybe. Now, don't get me wrong, legitimate reasons. There are some legitimate reasons. I'm not casting stones. But when we are in the mindset that I'll just, although I can go, and I have nothing stopping me, I'm just going to sit back. You take that uncommon thing and you bring it down and you put it on the shelf with the common stuff. Passion is what we need. Passion is our desire. And though the enemy will try to tell you that you are tired, wore out. Maybe that was a devil trying to throw the bat at me. I don't know. You missed, devil. Although you feel that way, there is an unseen side of your situation that if you will just 
do what you're supposed to do. And if you will just come to the house of God and you just push through like the woman with the issue of blood, just push through the crowd of everything that you got going on and make your way, take that effort and say, I'm going, I'm going to do this, I'm going to pray, I'm going to fast, I'm going to read, I'm going to do whatever it takes, I got to get close to God. When you do that and you push through the pain and you push through the hurt, you push through the heartache, what's waiting on the other side? What's waiting on the other side? We have got to not allow the uncommon things to become common. We've got to get back into our mindset that although some people may think that it's worthless, some people think it's a waste of time to come to church, some people think that it's a waste of money to give to the church, And some people have told you you're a fool for going to church. Some people have told you that you shouldn't be there. You're not, you you don't need to be there. Look what you've done. You're not worthy to be there. And some people will try to tell you the enemy will speak through people and whisper into your ear that you're no good for nothing and that you're just something common. But let me try to encourage you a little and tell you this. You are not common. You have the Holy Ghost. And if you don't have the Holy Ghost, you need the Holy Ghost. If you have the Holy Ghost, you are an uncommon person. Because now in your in and of yourself, your righteousness is as filthy rags. There's nothing that you have in, in and within yourself that's any good. You're a sinner, right? But if you are regenerated, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus, if you've repented of your sin, you've been infilled with the Holy Ghost, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, you are regenerated, you are renewed, you are a new creature. You are not just a common person, but you are an uncommon individual in this world. And this world will try to take your uncommon abilities and will try to take the uncommon I don't know how to say the uncommonness that you possess and try to knock you down to a common level. Do not allow it in the name of Jesus. Do not allow others to dissuade you, to make you back up. Don't even let your own mind try to convince you that you're just some poor person that's just you down on your luck, you don't deserve anything, you don't belong here. That's a lie of the devil. You are important to God. There is nothing in this world that will stop God to try to get to you. Obviously, as you know, he hung. He died on a cross. He bled that precious blood. And we used to sing a song, his blood was not just blood of another spotless lamb but his blood was precious blood it wasn't just the liquid blood that we know of that flowed it was something more spectacular it was uncommon when the uncommon is allowed to be infused with the common 
God puts it inside of you, it elevates you. But whenever you take the uncommon and try to bring it down, you de-elevate that and you descend it. Amen. Praise God. One more thing. And I just, I hope that this is not coming across like I'm trying to scold or anything. That's not the intention. That's not the purpose. The purpose is, I feel like that there's people that have just been beaten, that's been trodden down spiritually. I feel like that there's people that have allowed some of these things to start. But there's a stopping point. There's a, you can just stop right here and right now. And you can allow God to move. And you can allow God to mold and motivate your heart to do those things that are pleasing unto him. And to get back into the realm and the estate that you were at. One more thing. You've heard me talk about it. I've preached about it, I think, a little bit the last time that I preached, but Masada. Masada is a magnificent place. Masada was the last resistance against the Romans. They withstood, and they, 960 men, women, and children, withheld the Roman army within the walls of that fortress, but the Romans eventually took over. And you know the story. They decided in their minds to die an honorable death and not be taken or killed by the Romans, but to take care of it themselves. For thousands of years after the fall of Masada, Jews had no home. After the Holocaust, they were able to begin the return home. If y'all want to go ahead and come to the music. Now let's bring it up to modern day. Before recruits, this is what we were taught and told in Israel. Before recruits for the Israeli Army Corps can be formally accepted into the army, they are required to complete a dawn trek to the top of Masada. And that's it right there. That picture, that's Masada. 800 feet. It climbs up into the heavens. And you, they walk a snake path up to it. There, on the site where the Jewish fighters ended their own lives, they would take their oath of allegiance to the nation of Israel. Masada is ingrained in the Israeli psyche as a monument to Jewish resistance, an ancient symbol for the defiance of the modern state that rose from the ashes of the Holocaust. They make their oath. And at the very end of their oath, they say these purposeful words. They say these defiant words words they say never again will Masada fall not on my watch
never again will we allow Masada to fall. And I'm just wondering if there's anybody in this house tonight that just feels like they need a little something, need a boost. You've been beaten down. You've been trodden down. The enemy has been battering you from all sides, it seems like. I just wished I could impart to you what I feel inside of my heart and what I feel inside of my spirit. And I wished I could just get it into you, that resilience that says, never again. Never again will I allow the uncommon things of God to become common. Our heart breaks. How many people in the past six months, year, two years, how many people that we know and have seen walk away from God? Maybe it was because of the familiarity of everything that they allowed the things of God, the holy things, to become just common things. And so I wonder if there's anybody here tonight. You may be headed in that direction. You may not be headed in that direction. You may be headed in the direction where you just need some help. You just need a boost. You just need that B12 shot, so to speak, spiritually. And you will just get that resilience in your spirit and say, never again will I allow the enemy to lie to me. Never again will I believe his lies. Never again will I think that I'm not good enough. Never again will I shy away from doing the things of God. Never again will I allow the earthly pleasures and treasures of this world to get in the way of my pursuit in God. Never again will I allow the uncommon things of God to become common. I wonder if we could just all stand to our feet. Every preacher thinks in their mind before they come out and preach, before they deliver a message, they think of the way it's going to happen. They think of what's going to happen at the end. And this is totally different from what I thought that the way that this would end. But I just want to try to give to you what I feel like the Lord is trying to say. Never again. Never again. I can't go back to the way things used to be. I can't go back to those weak and beggarly elements of this world. I can't allow the drugs of yesterday affect my tomorrow. I can't allow my insecurities to hinder me. 
from resting in the arms of the one who gives security. I never again will I allow anything to get in my way of my pursuit to the good, godly, holy things that he has to offer me. Never again will I allow something to get in the way of me getting the Holy Ghost. Never again will I allow anything to get in the way of me getting my healing. Never again will I allow the whispers of the enemy to get a foothold into my mind and try to convince me that what God has given to me and what God has bestowed upon me is nothing but just something that's aged and deteriorated. It's alive. It's a way, it's well inside of you. The Bible says that it's a well springing up into everlasting life. <laughs> and so, hey, if you need to repent over something, why don't you come and do that? If you need help with something and you just want to come raise your hands and let God just fill you up with whatever you need, then come on. It, whatever it is that you possibly could need, if you need healing in your body, if you need a little reassurance in your mind, why don't you just slip out of your pew and why don't you allow God to work His work? Let His uncommon abilities and attributes descend down and be given into your common mind. In the name of Jesus, hallelujah. Oh, come on, somebody, hallelujah. Because although you can gain strength from right there where you are, God can touch you. There's nothing like making that effort and making that move and taking that step toward God. Come on, somebody. Why don't we just all slip out of our pews? We come down to the front. We lift our hands. We love on Him. We just honor Him. We, we put Him back on the throne. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Forgive
she needs to make to the ladies of the church. Hallelujah. So I want to let her do that right now at this time. Well, this morning, about 2.30 a.m. in the morning, I woke up out of a sleep, and I started praying for different ones, and, you know, there's just so many knees right now, and desperate knees, and I thought about the anniversary of the manna coming up next Wednesday night as far as the anniversary service of the manna. And I started thinking about that, and Sister Lydia had contacted me about it, and I said, I just don't know what we'll do this year. But as I lay there and was praying, it just like the Lord was dropping things into my spirit. So I really feel like this is God, and I feel like I have an urgency in my spirit like I did when we shut in. So many years ago, I feel that urgent need to pray and to fast. We come on Monday nights and we pray. We'll do that as normal. But Tuesday night from 7.30 to 8.30, I want you to enter the doors with prayer on your lips. No talking to each other, no conversation. This is what we did before when the manna fell. When you get through at 8.30, if you're still praying, that's okay. We'll have somebody lock up. But when you're through go to your car. No conversation. Of course, Wednesday night is church, so come in at 7. If you can get here at 7 o'clock, come through the doors with prayer on your lips. Thursday night, same thing, 7.30 to 8.30. We're going to pray and we're going to fast. Friday night, there's a ladies meeting at Sister, Lydia, uh, Sister Leah's grandfather's church. Sister Lydia would be speaking, and I feel led of the Lord. We need to go help that church out, Sister Michelle. We need to encourage her, be an encourager to her and that church family. So all the ladies that can go, we'll have the address back at the Welcome Center on Sunday. All the ladies that can go, let's go and be an encouragement to that church. They're precious people. We've been knowing them for years and years. But the service there starts at 7. We'll try to get back here. I always figure maybe somewhere around 9.30 Friday night and start in prayer. Somewhere around 10.30. It was, it's been months ago that I felt like God dropped something in my spirit. And I sat down and I studied it and I studied it. And I mean, it's been so many months ago, I don't even know where my notes are. I, haven't, I didn't have time to search for them today, but they're somewhere there. And the, and the title is For Crying Out Loud. So we'll stop somewhere around 10.30, and I'm going to share to you what the Lord gave me months ago for crying out loud. And then after that, we're going to pray some more. And then at 12 o'clock midnight, Sister Lydia will come at 12 o'clock, and she's going to be speaking on at the midnight hour. When she is finished, I know there's women here, and I'm going to go to some of you because I know there's been some of you that's been at a midnight hour. Tammy, you've been at that midnight hour. And God delivered you. You've been at the midnight hour. April, you've been at a midnight hour. I want you to get your testimonies ready. I want you to share those that night when Sister Liddy gets through. There's several of you. Sister Nat, you've been at a midnight hour. Sister Bertha, just recently at a midnight hour. There's so many. If you would, just get your testimonies together. Then after that, after the testimony, we're going to pray some more. We're going to pray and walk around this church, and we're going to be focused. We need God to move. We need him to move. And then at 6 o'clock a.m., 
be the end of the shut-in. 6 o'clock a.m. that morning, you can go home, get you some rest, be ready for Sunday morning. Come in here Sunday morning with worship and praise for what God has done. And so please, some of you just please fast and let's believe, believe God for a mighty move of the Holy Ghost. So the ladies are going to be fasting and praying. Amen. Appreciate Brother Clint sharing his heart with us. Such a tremendous message tonight. Amen. Such a, such a well-planned, well-thought-out, well-delivered message here on this Wednesday night from Brother Clint. Amen. What a tremendous message it was. Praise God. Never again. Amen. That needs to be our heartbeat. That needs to be on our minds. Amen. For a long time to come. Never again am I going to let the enemy get the upper hand on me. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's give him another hand clap of appreciation. God bless you tonight. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus.